In the last couple of weeks, the media has been full of the debate about statues. To keep them or to pull them down. It's been a massive and controversial debate. On Saturdays in the Times newspaper, they always have a satirical article called My Week, and it's imagining the week of somebody who has been a key figure in the news that week. It's written as a diary, sort of written, imagining, pretending to be written by that individual. It's normally a famous politician, someone like Boris Johnson, something like that. But last week, the My Week column was the My Week according to a statue. An article about the week in a life of a statue. Now, if you think about it, a statue, it is the ultimate thank you letter to a person. A statue, it's far more permanent than a bit of paper. It's a monument to a person saying thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. It's a way of letting other people know what someone has done. And, you know, ultimately, this letter of Philippians that we've been working through over the past 10 weeks in our lockdown sermon series, Restricted But Advancing, ultimately, this letter, Philippians, it is a thank you letter. It's longer than most of the thank you letters I write, but it is a thank you letter. And it's a letter that turns out to be far more permanent than many statues as it's preserved in our Bibles. But it is a letter that is Paul's thank you. Paul's thank you, Paul's statue to the Christians in Philippi. And what's Paul thanking these Philippian Christians for? Well, have a look at what he writes in verse 15 as we near the end of this letter. This is what he writes. He says, moreover... As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And that last phrase, you sent me aid when I was in need, it's, it's so striking. Paul's saying, he's saying thank you to the Philippian Christians because they have been giving him finances so he can keep going around planting churches. Aid when he was in need. And that's always the way with thank you letters. With thank you letters and with statues too, they are always thanking someone for meeting the needs of others. And so if there's any action for us this morning, it is for us, each one of us, to be like the Philippians, to look to meet the needs of others. And in the midst of all the restrictions of lockdown and the coronavirus, I think the encouraging thing as we look back on the last few months is that is exactly what has been happening, a meeting of the needs of others. Let me give you a few examples. First, meeting the need for food. Now, we all know the challenges for many during this pandemic, that basic need for food, for the vulnerable who can't get out of their homes, for the financial struggling who can't afford food. And right at the start of lockdown, we launched a pop-up food bank. We started administering the Lambeth Food Bank Fund. And many of you, you have been so generous in this. There have been people who've been do donating hundreds of pounds worth of food over the weeks. There have been other people who've got their work colleagues involved in it as well. And over the weeks, that the need for food, it has grown, hasn't it? We've heard that in the press. And we've been providing food to those in need in our church family, in our local community. But also now we've been providing food to NHS staff in the prison service and to food to those who are homeless and in temporary accommodation. So first one's meeting the need for food. But secondly, meeting the need for justice. That's come to the fore, hasn't it? The need, it's always been there. But particularly since the killing of George Floyd, it has rightly been brought front and central in our minds and our consciousnesses. I, I recorded a short response soon after George Floyd's death. And 
It was a little nine minute video, but I said in it that the, the verse of the Bible that had most been pressing in on me just in response to George Floyd's tragic and awful killing, the verse that had most struck me was a little verse in 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, speaking of the church, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And the first verse of our reading today, verse 14, it says pretty much exactly the same thing, doesn't it, Paul? He says to the Philippians, he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. That is what we're needing to do at this time, whoever we are sharing in the troubles of our brothers and sisters. I know as a white person that I can never fully understand the pain and the anguish of my black brothers and sisters because I'm not black. But I do know that I can listen. I can try and understand as best as possible and I can play an active part in not allowing racial injustice in any form to flourish. And that's the same for each of us, whoever we are, whatever the colour of our skin, in each of our spheres of influence. Third, there's the meeting the need for finances. That is the primary reason for the letter of Philippians, isn't it? Paul is thanking them for meeting his financial needs. And for us today as a church, I want to thank so many of you who are listening today for giving financially to the work of HDC over the last few months. That's why on some Sundays you'll have seen uh, this pink slide come up because it is true that everything we do is made possible by your giving. Our total annual expenditure as a church, it is around £1 million and about 90% of that income, it comes from the financial giving of you, financial giving of the members of this church. And so I say thank you for that. Now, for some, uh, the last months have meant much greater financial challenge, but for also for others, the last months have meant the same income coming in, but much less opportunity to spend it. And what Paul tells us here is that as we give to need, as we give in response to need, of course, our giving, it blesses the recipient. Of course it does. But it also, Paul says, our giving, it blesses not just the recipient, but it also blesses the giver. And our giving, it blesses God too. Just look at verse 18 and what Paul writes. He says there, he talks about their financial gift and he refers to it as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now you and I know the economic uncertainties only too well at the moment. But I want to encourage each of us to be those that continue to look to meet the needs of HTC financially and to be continually those who are giving to HDC proportionately, sacrificially, generously, cheerfully. And to recognise that as we do that, yes, it's going to be blessing many through the ministry of HDC, but it's also going to be blessing ourselves and it's going to be a blessing to God. And then fourth, fourth, we can meet the need for salvation. Remember Paul here. Paul is so restricted. Paul is in prison. It says back in chapter one, he says that his restriction, though, it has served to advance the gospel. It's advanced the gospel, even though he's in prison, because he's been sharing the gospel with the prison guards and the prison officers in his prison, and they have become Christians. And that is so exciting to read of that back in Paul's time. But, you know, we've seen that, too, in our time. During lockdown, last week, somebody came into the food bank and they ended up praying a prayer of commitment to Jesus with one of the team. People have also come to faith through Alpha Online. It's been so exciting and let's pray for more, shall we?
That, that's one of the reasons why we're having this Why sermon series, our new sermon series starting next Sunday. I hope it'll be a fantastic opportunity for many of our friends to have a listen in on our church services online, being intrigued by some of these Why questions that we're asking and looking to answer. And that's why, too, we're starting Alpha Online again at the beginning of July. It's so crucial that we be those who are reaching out, looking to meet the needs for salvation in many. And whoever we are, even if life feels like it has all sorts of restrictions at the moment, we can. As Pat Allerton reminded us, the portable priest himself, he told us we can use our particular rooftops to proclaim Jesus. And I'd love just to introduce you very briefly to someone who I had a chat with earlier this week. We'd arranged a chat about a month ago. I have a Zoom call together. And his name's Joshua Shinmar. Now, you may recognise his surname. He is the dad of Rima, uh, who is leading our musical worship this morning. And Joshua, he's now a vicar, but for 13 years, Joshua worked as a prison officer. And in that place of restriction, a prison as a Christian, Joshua looked to meet the needs of others. He looked to use his rooftop to proclaim Jesus. And you're going to hear him in this conversation with me just talk for a couple of minutes about one such time when God used him in the prison. Just have a listen to this. Just start, just came fresh out of training and they placed me on the murder wing uh, where, it, where 60 prisoners were all there for murder. And I was convinced that they'd made a mistake because here I am fresh out of training college and they put me on the worst wing uh, but they'd made a mistake uh, but God had God hadn't made a mistake <laughs> I complained but then initially I complained but you know that, that nobody heard nobody listened to me but I then found out on my first day that there was a um, racist uh, prisoner who was very dangerous he was second in command of combat 18 and his biceps were as thick as my my thighs and every time I walked past him he, he swore at me he you know said racial racially ah, well, well you know racial yes. racial slurs etc I won't repeat um, and then I was really challenged and I thought here I am I'm a Christian what is it that God wants me to do in this situation and and the wow. words of Jesus came to me love your enemies mm. And that was it. So I just started praying. It was difficult. It was hard. I started praying. Um, and then one day I came on shift and I heard a commotion and I could hear this chap. His name is Stephen. And he was banging on the, on his cell door. Gov, Gov, someone help me. I need a bulk roll and I need it now. And you know, everybody was laughing because yeah. you know, he's got no toilet roll left. Yeah. Laughing. And I just had compassion. I thought, actually, this is funny, but this might be the opportunity. So I did the unthinkable. I, I went to the stockroom, got some toilet roll, opened his cell door, handed it out to him, and just waited. And he looked at me, I looked at him, and it was one of those, you know, those awkward moments when you just yeah. know what to say. Uh, he took the toilet roll, and um, I closed the door, and everything changed after that. Um, he then asked me over the next few weeks, you know, why did you do that? And I told him that Jesus is in my life and he's forgiven me for my sins. And that's why I wanted to reach out to him with the love of Christ. Uh, and then he asked me to pray for him. I started praying for him. And then I gave him a, a New Testament, just as somebody gave me a New Testament. And before you knew it, he started attending chapel. And one day um, I, I went to collect a number of prisoners, including him, 
from the chapel and lo and behold he was worshipping God and praising God surrounded by black prisoners the very people that he wow. hated so God had reformed his heart and changed him and convicted him of sin and cleansed him and here he was a new creation and uh, God is good all the time isn't that such an amazing story? In the midst of all those restrictions, feeling restricted by his work, feeling restricted by his race, feeling restricted by his fear, Joshua, courageously, he met a need. It was a simple need, a need for toilet roll, but also a need for salvation in that man's life. And if I can speak frankly, here I think has been the biggest challenge for some of us during lockdown. We've retreated. We've retreated physically into our homes. We've retreated relationally, just staying in touch with a few people. We've retreated in our mindsets, just thinking about ourselves and our own survival and our own comfort. We've retreated in our evangelism. We've retreated in our visions and our plans for the future. We have retreated. And yet this time it has been and it continues to be a time not to retreat, but it's been a time for advancing for advancing, for looking outside of ourselves in the midst of all the restrictions, to look outside of ourselves and look to meet the needs of others. But why do we do that? Why do we look to meet the needs of others? Is it just so we can sort of receive a thank you letter? Is it so we can have a statue of ourselves? Isn't so-and-so so great and so wonderful and so kind? Isn't HTC so great? No, that's not it at all. Rather, you and I, we look to meet the needs of others because God has met all our needs in Jesus. He's met all our needs. Look at verse 19. That, that word need, it comes again and it's exactly the same word that was in verse 15. But this time it's not speaking about other people's needs, but our own needs. Look at what Paul writes. He says this, verse 19. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Just feast on those incredible words. Paul is saying that the Philippians have met his one need for finances, but God will meet all their needs in Christ Jesus. As we give away, we discover that we cannot outgive God. As we look to meet the needs of others, the need for food, for justice, for finances, for salvation, so we discover that God will meet all our needs in Jesus. Now, I don't think Paul is meaning by that. He's not saying that Jesus is sort of the channel, the channel through which all sorts of material blessings will definitively flow to you or me through Jesus so that we're always prosperous and wealthy and rich all the time. He's not saying that. Jesus is not the channel so much as Jesus is the location. Jesus himself is the location where your needs and my needs are met. Think back to last Sunday. This is why we can be content in all circumstances, whether we're in plenty or we're in want. We can be content in all circumstances because all that we need in life, it is met in Jesus himself, whether we're in plenty or in want. Think back to the statue debate. In the last couple of weeks, it was kick-started with the statue to Edward Colston in, in Bristol. A person who met lots of other people's needs as a philanthropist in Bristol. But a person who was also a slave trader. And his statue, it was toppled, it was rolled into the river because of his slave trading. You'll have seen it in the press. 
Now, should that statue have been kept or toppled? It's a good question, isn't it? In many ways, I'm fully in agreement with the sentiments of those who felt that a man should not be honoured who made his money out of a totally unjust enterprise slave trading that people from our very own church campaigned for decades to have abolished. Some people would say, well, hang on a moment. You know, he's being honoured for his generously meeting lots of people's needs in Bristol. He's not being honoured for being a slave trader. History's happened. We can't change it. It's done. After all, slave trading was an acceptable practice in Colston's day. But here's the big problem with that argument. It may have been an acceptable practice to Colston and to millions of others of his time, but it wasn't an acceptable practice to the slaves who were putting Colston's ships, was it? You know, the slaves back then, they were way ahead of the game here, but this practice of slave trading was wrong. But of course, their view wasn't taken into account back then. And their history wasn't told back then until Wilberforce and co made it their business to change all that. But then take the other view. Take the other view. There's a big problem if we start pulling down statues for troublesome elements of an individual's life, even if we do it without mob rule and violence, because quite frankly, where do we stop? You know, how troublesome is too troublesome? Statues of Churchill, statues of, of Gandhi have been in the firing line in the last week because of their racist views. And you know, even HDC's ultimate hero, William Wilberforce, if you delve into one or two of the things that Wilberforce said and did, we would be honestly, quite honestly, we'd be squirming with our 2020 cultural glasses on. The reality is whoever our heroes are, Whoever is up on a statue, they will be flawed. They cannot meet all our needs. We will find ourselves having to sort of pull them all down. Just as we know that each of us, we would have to be pulled down if we were made into a statue. I'd certainly have to be pulled down because we, we all have flaws. And that's why you and I, and every single person on this planet, that's why we need a statue that does not need to be toppled. We need a statue of someone who has done no wrong. We need a statue of someone who does meet all our needs. And that statue is Jesus. All our other heroes, past and present, all our other idols, people and things that we worship, that we hold up high, all they must be toppled. All of them fail us. They can't fulfill us. They can't forgive us. They belong on the ground with us. Jesus Christ, he stands alone. We worship him alone, but in him alone, all our needs are met. All our needs. There was a previous Archbishop of Canterbury. And he used to tell the story of a sculptor who, who sculpted a statue of Jesus. And people came from great distances to see this statue. They'd walk around the statue trying to grasp its splendour, looking at this statue from this angle and that, trying to grasp the grandeur of the statue. But it always eluded them. The, the statue had always looked a bit misproportioned. Until they consulted the sculptor himself and he'd invariably reply this. He'd say, there is only one angle from which this statue can be seen, just one angle. You must kneel. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we kneel before you. Not physically, in our hearts, we kneel in worship before you. We look up to you, the one person who should not be toppled. And Jesus, we come before you this morning. This day, we say, all of us, we have all sorts of needs. 
and we acknowledge that those needs, they are ultimately met in you alone. Jesus, whether we're in plenty or whether we're in want, whatever our circumstances, our ultimate needs, they're met in you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you forgive us our sins. Thank you that you send your spirit to live in us. Thank you that we can be children in your family. Thank you that we are adopted into that family. Thank you that you've conquered death. Thank you that you comfort us in our misery. Thank you that you bring us life in all its fullness, that in you there is hope. Thank you, Jesus, for filling us with your peace and your purpose. And this day, I pray for each one of us, with all that's going on in each of our lives, for many of us with all sorts of things that might rob us of contentment, all sorts of storms that some of us will be facing. Thank you that in the midst of us, you, in the midst of all this, you hold us when we're in despair. And we pray that we might know contentment and peace, whatever our circumstances because we know that in you, all our ultimate needs are met. And so Jesus, this day, we say thank you to you. This day, we write our thank you letter to you with our lives. This day, we lift you up as the one statue that need never be toppled. Jesus, this day, we, we live to praise you and we lift our praise to you. Jesus, we say to you, praise you, the Lord. We raise a hallelujah to you. Amen.